0: to the anti-gamers podcast recorded with another live studio audience just like our anime expo episode but this time we are at otakon 2017 and i am uh, surrounded here by uh, a bunch of legends legends reigning champions <laughs> luminaries of the anti-gamers
1: <laughs> podcast
0: stallions Stop. I'm you sound kids. <laughs> <laughs> we did it for like
1: 30 seconds. We were quiet and like, I no, know. I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I was incapable of actually starting my own show. My name is Evan Minto. I am the host of the Annie Gamers podcast. Let's go around, starting on my right.
1: Uh, I'm Kate from Reverse Thieves at Narutaki RT on Twitter.
2: I'm Patrick uh, Path Prime on Twitter from The Cockpit. I am Carl Essie uh,
3: Shemchel from. Blog, uh, Ogamy maniacs, and uh, my boss has just found out about my blog life, so hello. <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to hear this,
4: hi. Uh, I'm Alan, otherwise known as He Sweet RT, otherwise known as Super Fan Number One, and I'm also from Reverse Thieves. Super Fan Number One, Says Saber. Saber Fan. Number Saber Fan, wow, you're a big one. fan of
0: swords, that's cool. Huh? Yeah. I like yeah, swords uh, too.
4: Swords. You like Sword Art Online, right? Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, no, it's great, <laughs> and, and it's a deep story that has rich characterization, actually. And a look at um, online communities. Did you meet Saber?
2: She was hanging out in the um, dealer's room this weekend. No, I didn't. At the Anaplex booth. You didn't meet her?
1: I bet he knows that Saber.
2: Yeah. Yes.
1: We know that saber. saber.
2: No, she was like this tall,
0: made out of cardboard, and just standing there. Well, that's perfect. Yeah, it's way better than like the real ones.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we're here at Otacon, and it's uh, it's the first year in uh, in Washington, D.C. Just moved from from Baltimore. So, I feel like that's the first thing to ask everybody is like, what does everybody think about the new location? It's better, bigger. better.
1: It's great. No, I. It I, stinks.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> <You> <laughs> so get,
1: you get out of all here. The perspectives, but I was somebody who was not really looking forward to moving from Baltimore. I went to upon there a lot, and I was really attached to kind of just the way the city surrounded it, uh, like, kind of welcomed Otakon and became Otakon mm, for mm. the time. So I was a little bit like, I want a bigger convention center, but I don't really want to move. But now I feel like a total traitor because after day one, I was like, mm. yes,
4: everything!
1: <laughs> everything DC!
3: Everything's coming up DC. Yeah. Like, there, there are places in Baltimore I will miss, like, Ivy Burger Bistro or, oh, P- yeah. or Pia da Grotto, which is, like, the home of tiramisu. Um, but basically, on a, on an objective level, like, Washington DC basically offers everything... That Baltimore did plus more, so it's very hard to... Like, Baltimore, basically, I, I felt like an emotional, sentimental attachment, yeah. and I do like the fact... I did like the fact that we contributed to their local economy, but this place has, like, a local supermarket, and more varieties of restaurants, and mm-hmm. a better hotel, and a better convention center, and, like, this year, the one that's It's easy was... to navigate.
1: Better transportation. Better transportation,
3: yeah. Like, the only thing I've heard is that we didn't, like, a lot of us didn't drive, so we had to deal with this, but Traffic is a nightmare. That's
2: only or
1: part and parking, mm. I guess. Yeah, no,
2: DC is a hellscape of driving and parking, so
0: right. But there's also really good public transit. There's good public good. transit,
2: honestly. If you're driving to this convention, the smart thing to do is park in the suburbs at one of the long term lots and then take the metro in, right?
0: Right, you're gonna pay a lot
2: less money that way.
0: But yeah, one of my favorite things is definitely just how easy it is to find like somewhere to eat because yeah. that's always like such an annoying thing, at especially at where there's just like every single hour, there's four different panels you want to go to or something. And it's like, okay, I just need to go eat. And I ideally don't just want to like eat at the subway or something, mm-hmm. right? And you can actually find restaurants nearby, things like that.
4: And I mean, as much as we're all praising DC for, um, you know, what it has and it has a lot of good things, it just couldn't stay in Baltimore. I mean, the last few years, even with the numbers down, it sucked. It, it just, uh, There was always bottlenecks in key locations. It just, you always felt like you were in like a tin can that should have 10 sardines, but there are 20 in there. And um, I feel like it was stifling the growth that Otacon could have. And the numbers being down this year showed... Why, you know, everybody is always reluctant to move a con because you're going to take a hit. Um, You know, it's always hard to grow back up your numbers, but I feel like in this location, they're just going to grow. And like, I think that um, like five years down the line, it would seem the dumbest move that they didn't move earlier. So, what were the numbers I wouldn't we actually don't
1: know the numbers oh. yeah. um
0: okay
1: they they Al went to a panel where they talked about the pre-reg numbers but not mm-hmm. the the con numbers.
0: pre-reg numbers down from last year
4: so I don't the so there was a panel about the Oticon bylaws and basically the treasurer went through them very like he gave a very overview he didn't like sit us through all the legalese but it <laughs> sounds like a very dry panel. The Otakon bylaws. and but he, I mean, he said it's not the most interesting panels, but if you want to know how Otakon mm. works, here is the guts of Otakon. Mm. And, uh, and then he apparently, like, the last, I was there, last year he had a bunch of demographics, but since the move was so uh, hectic, he didn't have time. He's like, next year I'll have the demographics that everybody liked. Um, But one of the things he mentioned was that um, they had a projected number of people that would pre-order. It was five thousand down from that. Oh,
0: that was. But he didn't
4: say what that projected number was. Yeah, the projected
0: projected number potentially could have been higher.
3: You
0: know, you would assume though they would have probably projected lower, expecting lower attendance in DC. So that's maybe not a great sign. I mean,
2: what I would say is like. So we went to the feedback panel, and one of the big things there was, there was a lot of very, um, we're losing our live studio audience, so give us <laughs> just a moment.
1: They, they were bored out of our minds now that we weren't just talking uh, shit. That's right, That's right. yeah. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.
2: So we went to the feedback session, and one of the things I feel like overall was the majority of the feedback was actually positive. Mm. Um, and the negative feedback was all very like minor things. Like it wasn't like, outside of some accessibility issues, it wasn't like Oticon in Baltimore where it's like it's a hell it's a hellscape trying to get from panel A to panel B because right. you have to get through these narrow walkways. It's like, hey, this line could have been better. Hey, you could have put like you are here buttons on the maps. It was really simple stuff, and I feel like coming off of this weekend how good it was, how good the organization of the convention was. It's just going to be, like, a ton of positive, like, word of mouth. Like, hey, the move went great. Y'all need to come next year.
0: Yeah, and uh, navigation's a really big part of it. Like, this was way easier to navigate than the Baltimore Convention Center. There were basically no major bottlenecks that I noticed. Maybe, like, the only one I could think of is there's a big uh, hallway along, like, the edge that... The convention center like on that bottom floor that does the, gets you to like dealer's room and artist alley, that got a bit crowded but it wasn't even that much of a bottleneck because everything is pretty wide, every single possible bottleneck.
2: That that hallway was wider than any hallway in (laughs) the Baltimore convention center.
4: I will say and I was the only one who had a problem with it because I kept trying to visit one of my friends in the dealer's room is every like few hours or so they had to Closed down um, the line to the dealer's room because there were just too many people in that hallway, and mm. and they had to do that once or twice with the artist alley, but it's really the dealer's room.
3: The weird thing though is that it, like the hallway was crowded, but like I was some, I like I also was there as a dealer, a dealer of what? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I like. When I got the text message from you guys, right, being like, "Oh yeah, it's closed because it's crowded." I looked around, I was just like this is an this is like, there's like wide open hall like wide open the aisles everywhere. was it's, so yeah, like, just, like, like weird, wide like, open. No, like there was no there was no... You would have to shove in like two like three times as many people in order to create create a fire hazard.
4: And I just realized from the way you guys were talking, it wasn't that the dealer's room was crowded. It was that hallway was crowded. So and they wanted be- to disperse that, that line, line yeah. and so they they put those people through. The, um, it wouldn't break fire code and then they'd send in another wave.
2: And like those things are more those things feel like more of like issues you resolve with growing pains. Kind of like we, we're learning our layout and where to put lines and things of that nature and now we have better ideas so we can apply yeah, I think ideas that is next year rather than like an
0: inherent problem with the convention center, yeah, that old SkyBridge was basically just an intractable problem. Like, yeah, how do there's you no organize idea. around that in the old Baltimore Convention Center? Is just it, you could fit how many people could you fit wide in that thing? Really, like which, which people. One? The one in the Balt, the the BCC, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The like, BCC sky bridge SkyBridge was just impossible. Six, seven,
1: maybe right. people across,
0: including both sides. It was just impossible. It was people like would six be passing feet through. I mean, it was yeah. not.
1: Um, oh. I, I mean, as far as navigation goes. I don't think this was any worse, navigation-wise, than the Baltimore Convention Center, but I think it has similar weirdness, or not weirdness, but just, like, things you have to do. Like, you have to go up Up. and then go back down in order to go, you know what I mean? Like, you can't make a lot of, like, straight See, the
2: problem is, like, the way this convention center is built, the areas where you don't have to go outside to cross a street are either the high floor or the underground floor, underground level, but like panel rooms were on ground level. Right. Yeah. So the only way to get to the panel rooms is either go up and uh, across and down or down across and up. Yeah. So and you because can't, they, and you they, can't they weren't running street you,
0: level. Right. Yeah,
2: you couldn't cross street level because you couldn't go out there and then go back in. You had to go back to the main entrance. Which is
0: where, you know, I think it's for safety concerns, right? They don't want people constantly, because yeah. there's actually a street that runs yeah. down and, there. They don't want people just constantly crossing. Apparently,
2: they they found this out after the convention started. They provide uh, street crossing guards to help oh. people cross at those convention centers if they need, at those streets. If they oh, need. so that would
0: be a really good fix for next year. But so people could cross the other
2: issue people. there is whenever you enter the convention center is you have to go through a bag check. So it means mm-hmm. more bag check stations. Yeah.
1: I think, I mean, they said it was the safety thing about the street, crossing the street. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I wonder. The thing that'll that stop it is the bag check. Yeah, because I think I thought because I initially thought they did it just because it helped them limit where they had to bag check people because go this year you only had to do it. There were only two entrances: one from the Marriott and then one from the front of the convention center. So it was like minimizing where security needed to be to do that thing. So I'm very interested to see if that will change although it should change for people who have accessibility like yeah they need to make some stuff.
2: changes for accessibility because of the whole go up across and down nature of the convention center mm. i also think something that would be nice is and i'm not 100% sure how the options are as far as entrances on the other end of the convention center are. But having something on the other end would also be nice, at least, like, one other entrance. Because, say, you're going to, like, one of the further panels or the dealer's hall, if you come in the front entrance, you're basically walking the length of the convention center to get to where you're going.
3: I also think that, like, based on how the map looks and everything, you're not entirely sure how the convention center is laid out. I, you know, I was yeah, it's, like, there. long,
2: and you don't really see
0: that from And then, from like, and then
3: they have to kind of go to the bottom where, like, the artist alley and the dealer's room are, and like, okay, I have to go up to the next escalator over in order to go underneath the street and <laughs> stuff in the... It feels a little
0: like a Zelda dungeon. Yeah. Because yeah. Like, <laughs> it's and got it's this, even, like, verticality you're trying to figure out.
1: And it's even way weirder when you go through to the Marriott, because... When you go to that Marriott Tunnel, that's the bottom floor of the convention center. But when you go through there, then you go down another escalator and across. And then there's, like, more escalators. And I'm like,
4: I have no idea
1: where in the stratosphere I actually am.
4: You know what it is? It's funny. I found it really easy. But only because um, where I work, uh, I work in a mailroom. And they have to like, to find anybody, because they keep moving people around because of construction at the buildings I work at, I have to use these weird um, map layouts to find uh, where people are, and like they kind of have the same problem so I'm already used to dealing with it in my head, mm. but that's just like a weird benefit of me. Basically, I was like I'm already a professional dungeon crawler. I got- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so
2: Al tell me, is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon?
4: Uh I would not pick up people where I work, so uh yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. but, uh,
0: but overall I like the layout more though. I do think yeah. it's better. Well for one thing, panels are pretty much all in one place, which mm-hmm. is great. Other than the there. one panel eight, which I never had to go to, which is in the and hotel.
1: And that right. seemed to be like a last minute place for it based oh. on like what they didn't were like find saying.
0: another spot for
1: it yeah cuz they were saying that like oh we had to like suddenly move workshop like i felt like some of them some of the marriott not all of it some of it was definitely planned but it sounded like some of it was like oh this is like the only thing that we can do this year but it will change and
2: i do think it's worth noting the amount of like extra space that's not being used yet there's tons of panel space in the marriott there's just tons of empty space that's not even being used in the convention center. Yeah, They even said they factored
0: that in. They deliberately left empty space. Unless I'm mistaken, isn't there an entire block of the convention center that's the, not the, even used? The top
1: floor. Oh,
0: another floor.
1: Well, well. so, you know where Main Events is?
0: Sort of. Well, it was on the top floor. It
1: was where, did you go to Con Feedback or no? No. Okay, like the top floor, that's where the, the concerts were. And that's like okay. the biggest space besides like, the dealer's room and the mm-hmm. video game room. So it's a whole... Like, only part of that floor is Ooh, being used. So there's cool. there's all this... There's another video game room-sized space on the top floor, and then also more even more room. So yeah. I have no idea what they could ever possibly, like, right. do to fill all that space. I
0: mean, if they grow to be, like... Fifty thousand people or something, they can make use of that space. Even more, even more panels have the, even the, yeah, yeah. you I mean, you'll have six different panels all at the same time that you want to go to. They'll it'll be six Gundam panels scheduled <laughs> against each other.
1: I was we're, gonna say panel wise, though, yeah. that all the rooms were ample for the most part. Like, yeah. I think the smallest one, the one in the Marriott, was pretty small, and the one panel like six, six panel six small. was pretty small, pretty small. But it was
0: like maybe what two hundred people total or something. Could fit in that? I I would. It's know probably either. less than that. Maybe less. Probably yeah. like a hundred, maybe
2: hundred fifty at most.
0: Yeah.
1: But for the most part, the panel rooms were really big, and they, in general, <laughs> had the had the most space. You know, more space than they needed for everything. I
0: didn't see a lot of like capped panels. Yeah, compared to previous oh, Otakons yeah. where it's just capped, 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 can't get into anything. The, right. Like, it's been like sixth,
1: an hour before. Yeah.
4: The sixth one, uh I know. I oddly enough could not get into the faint. Because I, <laughs> you flashed uh, your card and everything. You said I'm the faint guy. <laughs> I'm super fan number one. For some reason, they didn't reserve a seat at the front for me. Yeah, you um, should have been front center. Um, and I didn't go to this, but there were some. I'm surprised nobody talked about second uh, feedback. Because there were so many people who did not get into the Voltron panel that was, for some reason, in room six. Oh. Very, very small. In room, room. six.
1: Yeah. Uh, that, that, that and was... I heard the workshops. Um, the workshops always get totally packed out. And for some reason, I don't know if it's just because they have limited supplies, but workshops are always in really small rooms. Well,
3: right, also, having to teach people, like... If you have like a like, they don't want, I don't think they want to be like a, like a college lecturer. <laughs> here's, here's
2: how you crochet. Like, I mean, what? like, the only, like, it's been so long since I've gone to a formal workshop. The last one I right. went to was for uh, um, Hanafuda. Hmm. Like, how to play Hanafuda. And it was exactly hmm. that. And it's like the guy, they only had so many decks of right. cards yeah, yeah, to yeah. play.
0: That makes sense. Uh, yeah, so speaking of that, which panels did you guys go to? What did you think was cool? Or. Very bad. Also, <laughs> unfortunately, I wasn't able
3: to go to that many panels this year. meaning Yeah, First, we went to the abuse in uh, shoujo anime and manga panel. I went to um, a little bit of the healing anime panel, and I basically went to the Discope Tech panel. I think that was and, and aside from aside from like uh, screenings and such like world premieres, uh, that's pretty much all I did panel wise. I think all the panels I went to were consistently good. Um, no real faults from what I experienced personally, but I know that. Uh, that might not be the case for everyone
0: else. Yeah, stuff was generally pretty good from what I saw. Uh, I did go to the dog panel. Oh, how was that? Because I know you guys, yeah. you guys did the dog panel. Yeah. Was it last year? Yeah, Those
1: yeah, dogs? yeah.
0: And I went to this, and I was like, okay, they better be talking about yeah. like. Gin and weed and all that stuff, and it was not really a dogs in anime panel. I know it I, was like dog grooming and stuff, yeah. <laughs> it was I, I suppose I, I, like so I saw normal dog cause, stuff because I saw the description.
3: It was like, you know, it, it was called like must Love of Doggo, oh, Dogs in Anime. Then you, you're like, oh, okay, it must be like our panel, right? And right. the description, it's like, tips for a professional dog trainer, yeah. I'm like, okay,
0: okay, <laughs> like, so you guys I, weren't professional dog trainers, no, no. so that, no, that was no, no, your yes. main problem, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I had said, I think, on our pre Otacon podcast, that the only way that panel would beat my panel would be if there were actual dogs yes, in that panel? Yes, if, if it
0: were run by dogs. Run by or
1: dogs. Both <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, of those things would be approved.
0: It wasn't run by a a human who trains dogs, it was run
4: by a trainer who is a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, like, I really wanted it to be like, teach your dog to do a spin attack like Jim. <laughs> <laughs> And thereby, he could kill bears, evil <laughs> demon bears too.
0: Yeah, I didn't get to go to a ton of like fan panels. Uh, I went to a couple of guest ones. I, I did go to the Gynax panel. Oh,
4: was was Gynax's
0: like hall X. of. It had a weird name. It was like Gynax's Hall of Dust and Dreams and resin Toxic dust. Resin dust. dust or
1: something. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, that one was really good. That was from Sterna funkin yeah. On Twitter. yeah. 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 Nate. Nate. Yeah. Uh, who I think. Is generally orbits in the the sort of Sakuga region of anime Twitter, sort of animation nerds, uh, and that was really good. It he kind of ran out of time, but he were you know went through a lot of kind of the Gynax stuff that people don't you know that like most anime fans don't know about all the like general product stuff. And he played really early things. Daikon
2: Four, right? Played
0: Daikon Three and Four. Oh, nice. You know, he, was, he was he was real. Yeah. real. Uh, he was committed. Put, like, blue blazes on. Just, like, it was a good a good introduction for people. I, Money Wars? No. Ah. I don't think he put on Money Wars. Uh, yeah, I, I learned stuff from it, which is, you know, to me is a good threshold. Because, like, I think for most of us, we can go to a lot of fan panels and be like, I pretty much knew everything that they said. Oh, oh, so, Kate, what did you think of the uh, abuse panel? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's what I'm actually really curious about.
2: Um, so,
1: that was done by... Uh, Caitlin no, or... but her, I'm sorry, I, I remember her also heroin lovely. addict. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she has a blog, you know, a blog, right. and she also writes for Anime Feminists. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm i pretty sure that I saw her do a panel last year, which was, like, women in anime, like, create basically yeah. women creators. They did that again this year. Um. So, and I thought that that, that panel, I thought, was good, but needed work, and I thought that's kind of the same thing about this shoujo abuse panel. Um, I think it's a very interesting subject. I think that she was very sensitive to the topic, which was very good, but I did think some of the panel came off as sort of like, right, isn't that abuse? You know, kind of like a little bit more, like not condescending, but sort of like, I felt like I wanted her to kind of engage more with why is this popular? Because some of the tropes that she was talking about are really popular, and like digging into it a little like, bit more. Going deep
2: enough, surface for level. You know, not so.
1: not always surface level, but yeah, just sort of like, you know, kind of kind of expecting the audience to be like, "This is abuse, isn't it?" And everyone's like, "Yeah, that's abuse." Oh yeah. yeah. Do, excuse- do you get what I, you I mean?
3: Because I, yeah. I was at the panel too, and it was kind of like, sort of like like you presented, it, but oh, once I presented to you, now you realize that it's abuse or or. Kind of like, without delving into like, maybe what makes it a use. I mean, she was pretty thorough, right? I'm saying I don't think, I think it was a good panel overall, but I did feel to some extent that, kind of like the whys, like kind of like, like, why, and why is it popular? How has it entrenched itself? Like, what do, what potentially could be, like, what do potentially do the readers and the writers try to gain from using these tropes? Like, I was just thinking about this after the panel, but like, I feel like a lot of the physical violence is because kind of physical violence is more is dramatic in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, And you can say that, you can sort of say, then delve into like why that can be a problem, but um, it wasn't really addressed. This the very idea that you're dealing with a lot of melodramatic stories, right? Where pretty much, right. you know, people are slapping each other and stuff, but but there's also this sense of like how much of it is done because tr- the, mangas and, the, manga, the, the manga stories themselves are trying to be a little more extreme. Be a little more charged.
1: And I also felt like I guess now that you're talking about it, what I what I think I wanted to see actually a little bit more was that she picked so so a lot of the titles she picked I completely agreed with, and they're all things that I actually really do not like. Uh, so I was like, yes. But I felt like a lot. I think I, I think a lot of people went in there kind of totally agreeing, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I you know, like because she picked titles like "Hot Gimmick," which is hot garbage, and like is really bad, Um, but it's also insanely popular, so I felt like I wanted her to kind of delve into, like, whoa, well, like, why is this series, like, a best-selling, Right, you know what I mean? Or, on the other hand, I felt like I kind of wanted her to pick out tropes that are in series that are good, that are generally good, but it's like, oh, but, like, this piece is a problem. So, like, picking out kind of the things that you actually see a lot in even good shoujo as opposed to, like, something that's, like, kind of clearly bad. Um, Yeah, it
0: sounds like it just wasn't really challenging enough. Like, people kind of came in, they came out with the same things that they came in with or maybe not as much as they should have come out of the panel with.
1: Except, I think her discussion of Nana was fantastic. Okay. And (sighs) that was, like, where she really shined because that's a series that, actually depicts abuse as abuse and like discusses it like it's not just like oh and everything was fine and i saved the boy and it got better or whatever like it seriously addresses it so i thought she did a good job of like talking about that
3: i was also fairly impressed because she she dressed kiss him not me as like a title that kind of handles the, 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 this concept of abuse well just just because uh and i had this same reaction when you first read the manga or watch the anime that title, it's like a um, Fujoshi. It's like a title of the Fujoshi, Fujoshi right. main character where she basically loses a ton of weight, and so a bunch of guys fall in love with her. And the reason she loses weight is because she, she stops eating after her favorite anime character dies. Um, and it's really kind of shallow, in a way, Right? you're Like, oh, all these guys are, are are coming in, and at first it makes it seem like the show's kind of making light of weight issues, but then it address, it kind of addresses that part of the story, and addresses other things and with a surprising amount of nuance. Uh, so I was impressed that. Say she had not stumbled at that first hurdle and had kept watching. Oh yeah, Yeah, you because know, I feel like it happens. I feel like it happens with a lot of people with that show, with that series in particular, just because that first hurdle is kind of high. Mm. Kind of having to deal with the fact that yeah, it looks like it's making fun of eating disorders and issues and such, and it kind of is not so crass.
1: So I think she's really knowledgeable. I, I think that she she's really good at that. I just think her presentation kind of needs a little bit of work. Like, it's clear that she knows yeah. what she's talking about. I feel like we talked about it so long that it makes it sound like I thought it was a bad panel. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, and I didn't, but... Yeah.
2: So now we can talk about the good panels, since they hated everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So
3: what good panels did you
2: think I went to the best panel, which was Vintage Anime Quiz Show. Man, yeah,
1: that sounded awesome. I'm really sad. With, uh, yeah.
2: Shino Kakinuma? Uh, as a voice actress. Um she was uh Naru and Sailor, Sailor Moon. Moon. I don't know Sailor Moon, so that's her most she's famous the, role.
3: She, oh she's Molly in the English version, it's Okay, that's nice, so gonna help. She's the um, one who falls in love with one of the villains.
1: Nephrite. Um, yeah.
3: Yes, Nef- God! Nef- why or don't Nef- you know? Or I I I know Nephrite. I know, he, he's called Nephrite in the Dub, but
2: She's also uh Videl in Dragon Ball Super. Okay. Um so she's done some roles. She's not and then her husband is Toshio Furukawa, who's Kai and um Gundam and Gundam Piccolo. and Piccolo in Dragon Ball. So he's done Two a character who are roles. totally
0: the same. Yeah.
2: In every way. <laughs> Ataru and Lung, once again, same. Yeah, Ataru, um, uh, Ace in One Piece. He's so very
1: he, varied.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's done a lot of very different characters. Edward
3: Mito and Dioja, you know, the role that everyone knows him as. Yeah, yeah. you know Dioja. Yeah,
2: Dioja. And um, this panel, oh, okay, so she came dressed as a maid, um, and she hosted this, like, quiz show panel, and it was basically her up on the stage with a translator, and she would put up whatever, a slide, and ask like a random quiz question, and he would translate it, and then she would go, like, go and tell everybody to raise their hands. So um, what were
0: the questions
2: like? So the questions were all over the place, but most of them or they were all shows that either she or her husband were in. As a result, like, a third of them were about Dragon Ball. Yeah. Um, So there was a lot of Dragon Ball questions, and they ranged from, like, really basic stuff to really, really, like, deep-cut stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, the only ones that, like, stumped the audience was, like, one or two, like, Dr. Slump questions, or it's just, like, that's not a thing a lot of the audience knows. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But some of them would be really simple things. Like, there was one where it was, like, What's the new movie series? What's the subtitle of the new Gundam movie series that my husband is in? Or whatever. And they put up a slide and it's the Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin logo and the origin is just blurred out. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like the questions weren't hard. Uh, For the most part, it was just like really fun because she was having a lot of fun. Uh, Her husband, after the first question, because what she did is she brought a ton of prizes for every question. And the way you picked a prize is you drew a ball out of a box and it had a number on it. And after the first question, she made her husband get up from the back, come to the front and, like, actually be the one digging the prizes out of the boxes. Um, <laughs> and while he's standing there, anytime like, a question he knew the answer to came up, he would raise his hand really, like, excitedly to tell them, to, t- to answer and as the panel went on, she would come up with more and more elaborate ways to pretend she didn't see him, like, <laughs> like facing away from him or just looking way up into the air instead of looking down
0: at him. It sounds adorable. Actually. Oh,
2: it was it was hilarious. They they both of them were super charming and uh, fun. Uh, so that panel was extremely good.
0: I got a call out in terms of guest panels. Uh, Katsuyuki Sumi Sumizawa. I always get his name wrong. Yeah. The Gundam Wing screenwriter, who I was sort of like, oh, I don't know, like, is this guy gonna be, uh, uh, you know, very interesting? And who, which of you were at his panel? I forget. I was, I, I, can't I was, Yeah. He was real spicy. <laughs> he was that like, hey,
4: yeah. hey guys, I've got
0: a box and it's full of shade. Oh
4: no, <laughs> all over the place.
0: He was like so excited. I, he was just like, I don't even know. I, maybe he's just like this all the time, but I got the sense that he was like, I'm out of Japan. The cops can't find me now. I could talk shit about everybody. <laughs> like,
4: I feel like over the last few years, like more and more the Japanese guests have this like, well, i in Japan. <laughs> and like it seems like I can get away with like basically the stuff that I'd only say at a drinking party.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Because
0: yeah. he was like he had a bunch of stories about... Um,
4: uh, Tomino? Yeah, did, what was the Tomino story? I don't remember. Oh, so, like, one of them... Well, he had a bunch of stories, but the one I liked was somebody... He was... He said that there was a separate wing panel, and I'm curious if anybody after this went to the wing panel. But he's like, look, I could talk about any show, but since we're doing a whole panel just about Gundam Wing, yeah. save all your Gundam Wing questions... For that one. Well, I think I remember the Tomino thing that he said, yeah. And so somebody was like, all right, you can't talk about Wing, but you have worked on other Gundam series, and you've written for other Gundam series. So who do you think is, like, the most annoying Gundam character? And he's, like, thinking, he's like, yeah, there are a lot of characters that, like, make big, like, unimportant speeches or, (laughs) or, like, just are whiny. But, you know probably the most annoying Gundam character is Yoshiki Tomino. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, they, it was all but that, you know, the, oh, yeah. reaction gift <laughs> from the audience. Yeah, I expected those guys to come in and just do the,
0: oh. And the guy leans over and falls to Yeah, him. yeah. <laughs> he had Ikuhara stories, too, from working on, like, uh, from working on Sailor Moon, and he was like, yo, whenever I see Ikuhara, he's, like, always got these, like, Pain patches or whatever on his back and stuff. And he was like, "Why? What? What? What's up with that?" And it's because he sleeps in the office in like weird positions under his desk and stuff, and ends up with cramps all over. So he puts all these patches on. Like,
2: so this guy also did like a lot of work on like Naruto uh, and Inuyasha, and like a lot of that is he worked on the filler for both of those. For one yeah. of his other things was, well. Like, someone asked him what it was like working on Inuyasha and Naruto at the same time, because he was working on both of them at basically the exact same time. And he's like, well, with Inuyasha, or with both of them, we kind of started running out of material and had to come up with, like, filler. And, like, with Inuyasha, we had a general idea of where things were going, so it was easy to do stuff. But with Naruto, we had no idea what was coming. So we just kind of threw stuff at a wall because we didn't know what else we could do.
0: And yeah, sorry about that. It got kind of boring.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and also, he did, he pulled an Ed Chavez throughout the panel where he's like, ah, uh, yeah, I'm like, please don't tweet that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, multiple times he would say, don't repeat this.
1: <laughs> and here we are.
0: Yeah. Oh, whoops. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll have to cut that now that nah. I think about it.
4: Um, he but, said it in public. Right. I also do like the one part where he was like, someone asked him, You know, you do a lot of original material. Have any of the, you know, original creators complained? And he's like, well, one, you know, a lot of these people, especially if they're working, like, on a jump title... They've got, like, deadlines up the yin-yang. So we usually see them, like, once when the production starts, they give a speech or two, and then they disappear. Maybe, like, an editor will come by every once in a while and give us, like, a marching order or, like, a little tisk. But we don't see those guys past that point. And he's like, but nah, most... Oh, wait, no. I do remember I was, like, at a party, and the lady... Who ran? Uh, was it Sayuki? Mm-hmm. Mm. The lady who ran Sayuki had words for me <laughs> about the original <laughs> right, right, right. material. I think that's why I wasn't. Uh, uh, I wasn't brought back to do the second
0: season. <laughs> I wonder if just like the Sunrise producers weren't in the room, and he like looked around and he was like, "Well, my bosses aren't here, so it's time to have a little fun." <laughs> I you said so they, they were. They were. just like.
1: Ugh. And he, and, and, but then they didn't want to like grab the mic out of his hands, so he's just was like, "I can keep going." So they don't want to make a scene. Because
4: yeah, I have seen that, like, a, um, like at interviews or stuff, you could see like the handlers go. Ugh.
1: Or you can, ha- or you'll have the translator and them talking, and then the the handlers will start talking, yeah. and then and then your answer is like one sentence, and you're like.
3: Hmm. That was
1: clearly not what that was about. Sometimes
3: I have, a, I have like, you know, I get the
0: answer for the translator. They listen in. And I'm like, oh, uh, hmm. There's, I, I actually, it's actually there. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, did you guys go to like pr- any premieres and stuff? There were yeah, a couple. Uh, I went
3: to. I went to. I think most, some of us went to. Um, in this corner of the world.
0: And yeah. The Eureka Seven, high evolution first movie. Okay, so let's let's hear about Eureka Seven first.
3: Um, we have a very mixed opinions of it, because it was weird, because basically it was um, a half hour front-loaded of entirely new footage, entirely new everything, like a new story, and then it was like a weird uh, clip show recap of Party 7 from Mm. a very particular angle, like basically, like, uh, it basically covers the events of of the story, but focuses really heavily on when Renton is living with Ray and Charles, who are like these two cool... Pilots, and when he runs away from the ship that he was on, except that they kind of did this thing where, like, they did not show the clips in chronological order. It was almost like, I don't know what order, it was like an emotional order, and it it would constantly move back and Mm. forth in time. And so, I think that really unusual, bizarre format, kind of depending on how well you took to it, could really affect your perception of whether or not you liked the movie. I mean, it's kind of funny if they had just shown the first half hour, everyone would be like, Yeah, that's great, that's really great, right? And then, oh, that, was a, that was a really good OVA, but because they add to all this extra stuff, it kind of becomes a more divisive film.
1: But it was, I thought it was interesting in the, in the context of, you know, we have the new Evangelion movies coming out, and right. then these uh, your Seven movies are recap, retelling movies also, but they presumably, as they go on, kind of like the Eva movies, there will be more new things that, you know, that, that change... But we don't really see a lot of that in this movie. Also, I I was very mixed. I was kind of, like, in the middle about this movie. But I have to bring up the Anno-style, like, massive subtitle, like, uh. pop-up <laughs> video of, like, ev- like there was... The
0: title cards on oh top of the screen. Oh, my yeah.
1: God. And it was, like, every two minutes, every person that showed up, every location every that weapon. showed up, every weapon, every piece of food. Remember, yeah, my, favorite,
3: like, my favorite one is that when they when, when, when eat tacos, it
0: pops up with a history of tacos on the screen. It sounds like The Humanoid, and I love it. I want to watch it now.
1: I totally... I looked immediately... Like, the first three times it happened, I was like, done. And I Ugh. just zoomed, It's very excessive
3: like, to the point that you almost feel like you're not supposed to actually read it. Like, There's it,
1: no way you could read yeah, cause it Yeah, because
3: it'd be like, you know, KLF, and then it stands, what, a, what, a, what the robot stands for, and then it's specs, and it's like height and weight. I think it gave bo- a BMI, Body Mass Index, for like Renton and Eureka. Well, the that's, movie.
1: yeah,
0: they haven't shown that before, right? So it's, it's new, new for content. <laughs>
1: yeah, It was just, it was like very overwhelming, I thought. At certain points, so... See,
4: I feel like the Summer of Love, the beginning stuff, was really interesting. It's like this part of the lore that's always been built up, and I thought they executed it fairly well. Um, I know Kate thought it was a little overdone, and, like, um, I think that's, like, totally acceptable and, like, a good interpretation of it, but in a way, I felt like they had hyped up that moment so much that, like, this was like humanity's last stand, like, it was do or die for humanity, and then, um, you know, uh, Renton's dad, Adrock, like, becomes a hero for turning the tide, and this, and as the show goes on, it's clearly more that was going on, but like, it had a show that, like, this most people thought if we don't win this, we're not living as a species past this point, and I thought they did that wow and so i had like a lot of hopes and then i'm like all right like because for a while eureka 7 in my opinion has been in like this weird slump where like eureka 7 i think everybody here or this me king carl love that series great series like wonderful and then they had the the movie which tried to like remix the story and it was Horrible, and then I do not want to get onto this podcast about my feelings about A O. Other than not good,
1: <laughs> <laughs> does not exist as far as I'm yeah.
4: concerned.
3: The um, the other thing, I don't know if we want. Do we want to talk? About spoil the next episode preview, or should we just do like the next movie? Probably preview? not spoil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's interesting. I feel like um, it because it basically it has this preview and and like pretty much the entire like almost the entire preview. Is like entirely new and unexpected stuff, like alar- like not to say alarmingly so, but like things you would not expect out of Yurika Seven showing up, like like Ava. Yeah, so sort of like that's Ava. why I was yeah, like, like an Ava. And Ava yeah. shows up in it. You definitely don't expect that. Yeah yeah. No, yeah, yeah, But then, but it's almost to the point that it Riding seems it's like I almost <laughs> I'll just say this right. I almost feel like that next episode preview makes me wonder. If it's Yurika Seven because it's very music oriented. If it's trying to address the Rise in popularity of pop of idols, uh, of idol and idol culture, but we'll see how it.
4: But yeah, the thing was that so I was like, all right, I feel like Eureka Seven's back on track. Um, I feel like they're returning to the original characters, and like I'm seeing new dimensions to them. They had parts with Ray and Charles. Um, uh, we finally get to see Adbrock. Um, I felt like, um, just it felt really good, and then it just became a clip show. And, like, Mm. not even, like, a good Ikahara clip show. Like, you're just standard, oh, um, like, we ran out of time this week, so to give the animators a week to catch up, let's just do this clip show. And it felt like that to me. And it uh, I just was, like, immediately super disappointed. And I was like, and I get why Carl liked it, but I felt like, since the Ray and Charles parts are some of my favorite parts of um, Eureka 7, I felt like it just played the same song in a meter that I didn't like.
1: The last thing I want to say about, because obviously we could do a whole podcast about that movie, is that I did think it was really cool that that movie was finished like three days before this convention. So th- the we were the first audience that was not the industry to see that movie that's cool. that's fucking awesome like that's exactly the most that's so exciting to me and even though i i'm like i'm pretty much like right in the middle about that movie that is so cool like i'm so glad that i was there to see that
4: yeah i mean i i, I was down on that movie but i still feel like i i'm very honored that they showed it to us that way, and I appreciate yeah, that's it.
0: It's happening more and more as they focus on the international audience. I will say one thing, right? I felt like it was trying to do. We go
3: back to *Pocketful of Rainbows*, right? Which I, I enjoyed well enough, but also had I, was, I had some criticism of it as well. But I liked I kind of I was more entertained by the idea that they would basically take existing footage and could entirely change the context of it by changing the characters and changing their personalities and such. Um, and I think that maybe the experiment made... Like I said, it's basically like, what if we took the characters you knew and then made them completely really different characters? And like, Great. And most people would be like, no. Why would we want to watch this? And I feel like this movie was trying to do a similar thing, except that keep the story, the familiar recosent story that people already know, um, so that when you mix it up and you kind of... You know, basically say, if like, you said you remix it as if it were a song, you're like, oh, this is the techno mm. acid remix or whatever, I don't know, <laughs> music terms. Um... It's still recognizably the same. You know, sometimes you listen yeah, to like yeah, a remix yeah. song, you're like, "This sounds nothing." There's there's no none of the original song in here. I feel like this one, whether or not like or not, we still recognize it as Eureka 7.
4: Yeah, it was still Eureka 7. It was just dubstep Eureka 7.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I gotta ask because I'm a giant evangelist for it. Which of you saw in this corner of the world, and what did you think? Uh, I I mean I think I think oh, it, was it was awful. awful. He, yes. didn't,
1: he didn't oh. see it. I'm
0: going to throw you out of the box. <laughs> I've, I've, really, I've, 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 I've read the manga okay.
3: before, but I saw the movie, I thought it was really fast, fantastic. Um, there are a lot of things about the book I had forgotten that I might remember about. It, the way it handles various subjects is very interesting, and I think that the film does a really great job of showing like how an extremely normal person at the time thought about the war and went yeah. through the war,
0: right? I was actually having this conversation. I guess, I guess not everybody yeah. listening maybe knows what it is. But oh, it's yeah. like a World War II period piece anime film uh, about, like, basically just a, a young woman who moves from Hiroshima to Kure yeah. to, like, she married, gets married off to this this man she's, like, barely ever met. Yeah, and it's a big... And basically, like, just her living through the war.
3: Yeah, and it's yeah. a big deal, I think, because, like, I think there are certain, if we could Due to things like Barefoot Gang... Or even uh, her previous manga, what was it called, "Town of Evening Blossom. Um yeah. there's this very he- heavy focus on Hiroshima and like the atomic bomb, bomb yeah. and all that. Or even just like, or like Tokyo and like the like a lot of like the air attacks and such, which are mm-hmm. also in this movie to some extent. Um, and it's just been just like a different perspective on the codified it, like language of images used to depict mm-hmm. World War II in Japan. And there's like, a lot of little details that contribute to this idea that. It's there, they're
0: living an everyday life in a very unusual
3: yeah. I mean, situation. It's a slice
0: of life film, basically. It's also a drama, but I mean, it's like it, it does fit the the classical definition of slice of life. It's just, it's just it it's a just, bunch of vignettes about someone's yeah. life, right? but it's just that the life itself is
3: falling it's, apart right, right. because
0: they're in the middle of a war.
4: You know, I think the part that was most fascinating to me um, was. We were talking about it, and I feel like some of the reviews, like the professional reviews, actually missed yeah. this, which I found odd, was it's this great look at how her world, as the war goes on, goes more and more insane. But, like, it's almost like the, the classic story of the frog in the water. It happens so gradually mm-hmm. that she doesn't notice. Mm-hmm. And, like, at the end, like, when the... Um, not the I don't feel like you can spoil this. Like when the bomb goes off in Hiroshima, they barely realize yeah, it. Yeah. They just—it's just a new weapon that happened, like a new strange little occurrence, and they don't realize what has even happened till days later. Yeah, when it, it pretty much has to almost be explained to them.
3: Uh, I actually got into a discussion with some with some people I know, and they basically thought that the film was—they thought they actually thought the film was Japanese propaganda, right? I'm like, yeah, they're like, how, right? And it's because, I think, because um, Suzu, the main character, she's not, like, a well-educated person, right? She's not, like, super smart. She's not super enlightened. Like, she doesn't question a lot of things about her life, right? But but there's a part where she basically, like, just gets really frustrated. Yeah. And they thought that was basically, like, um, kind of, like, they thought that that was the lesson that the Film was trying to teach that you know oh how how did we lose this war you know how did we lose the war how did we oh God. Do so that's balanced? absolutely not what no, yeah but, but <laughs> I realized that, but then I realized right it's not like that opinion is that like is that unusual because I was reading some fresh reviews, reviews as well and it said one of the issues is that it was great portraying little details but why didn't Suzu question more about her life like why didn't, yeah. why didn't she why didn't she question marriage why didn't she question all, ah, all this stuff right That and, uh, totally misses the point <laughs> no, no, no and I realized that this is something that maybe is a product of I don't know if it's American filmmaking, right? But I realize... I might go into a little bit of a thing, right? But um, one thing is that... this A similar thing happened to The Wind Rises, where a lot of people accused of yeah, being yeah.
0: pro-war, pro pro-nationalism. <laughs> Wasn't the problem that it was like... It was like Yuri on Ice, where people were like, it's not gay. It's it's too gay. It's yeah. not gay enough, yeah. right? It was like people were like, it's left-wing propaganda. Yeah. It's right-wing propaganda. Yeah. It, like, it's, <laughs> the, the thing,
3: right, is that people often, I think, maybe you subconsciously think that how a main character behaves is a reflection of the values yeah. that are being told by the story. But another thing, right, I was reading recently about how and it's going to go to Korean stuff, that one of the struggles of Korean uh, novels, right, in America, is that a lot of, and Japan do different things, but the idea is that a lot of Korean novels have main characters who are extremely passive characters. The world happens to them, events mm-hmm. happen to them, and they kind of have to live through it, right? And this is very accepted in... Storytelling? Say in Korea, right? But in America, no, you, what do you learn? Act, you, you right. write active sentences, you have active yeah. protagonists, you have, you know, you Your have characters, characters who struggle toward a goal. With some, agency yeah. and struggling and stuff, and I think that the fact that Suzu is so not that, kind of but, makes it so
0: that people see that and just like oh like what's I, I, I have kind of... a different reading of it though i think suzu does struggle a lot toward a goal but her goal the i think it's easy for people to read the movie as being about world war ii entirely but it's not really like it's about her mm-hmm. and it's about like her trying to find like this meaning in life and like a like just find some sort of peace and happiness in it And there's a war happening around her. But, like, I see how you could read it and see, like, well, why doesn't she question the war? And it's like, well, she just has all these forces around her and she's trying to carve out a spot inside of it. And that's what the struggle is to me.
1: I think there, I have two things about it. So, first, I think that uh, when when they were talking about the film before the screening, so they were talking Mm -hmm. about that in order for them to get a budget for this movie, they had to cut out about 30 to 40. Minutes mm. of the film, and obviously the manga go has yeah. other scenes in it. But I it's thought sort of some
0: big twists. I think that got cut.
1: Uh, and I, but I thought that, or I kind of wondered. You know, speaking about like the propaganda thing, like was it propaganda or wasn't? But I thought that you know the the film doesn't actually show. It shows that they listen to the radio, but we often don't hear what they're listening to, and like everything on the radio was propaganda. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we don't. I feel like if the show, maybe, or if the film had more um, blatantly showed how Japan was propagating, like, talking to people in the countryside on the Mm. radio, maybe it would have been more clear that, like, all of these people were experiencing so much propaganda from their own government that of course they would think, you know, of course people wanted to win the war.
4: Uh, And I agree. But I feel like there were a lot of moments because it's all about the little moments in the movie of, like, when um when the little girl from the ant is like they're looking at like schools to go and they go to that girls school and they're all being like taught these like prop like these yeah. propaganda songs and i feel like there's a lot of little and case right they probably could have done more especially if they had more time but i feel like there were a lot of little moments that showed how they were slowly being indoctrinated into right. the war is good, we are heroes. The, her, uh,
3: the author, uh, Konofumiya, apparently she has been criticized in Japan for not being as directly critical enough of wartime Japan. Like Both mm. this and Italian country, con- con- yeah. Cherry Blossoms, have gotten criticism for basically being a little too, like, Nostalgic, nostalgic, nostalgic yeah. about wartime Japan. Even though I think yeah. that that's not quite the case. but.
1: Yeah. And the second thing I wanted to say in terms of, you know, is it a World War II movie? Is it a movie about this one person? I, I, I think it's, I think it's both. I, I actually yeah. don't really think it's one or the other because I think one of the big overarching things that you see in this movie is, uh, especially the way that it ends. It shows that without spoiling. Without spoiling yeah. it that. Life continues. Yeah. That, that I feel like that's a huge part of it. And also throughout the film, what I thought was really important and amazing about it, and that really ties into that idea, is that these people are going through hardships, but there is so much laughter in this movie. Yeah, yeah. There is so
0: much... It's funny. It's, it's actually a funny movie.
1: <laughs> you know, because... People have these everyday moments that are funny, that, that you're even though you're going through a war, or even though this thing is happening, or even if you're poor, or whatever it is, yeah, it doesn't diminish the things that you are going through. But everybody has these like funny moments when somebody drops something or like this you know, this little funny thing happens. And so I, I think that the film was really a lot about that. And the way that it ends is about life continues. Yeah. Like you you if you are still alive there is another day and and there is always life going yeah. forward.
0: In in that sense like to me it's a frankly the more I, i've seen it a couple times now like the more that i think about it and the more i like let it sink in it's just a much if you compare it to something like like grave of the fireflies which is a phenomenal film it is just much more layered there's more going on it has a more sophisticated thing to say other than just like ah war it's bad, right? It's really bad, and here's a beautiful depiction of how bad it is. This is like about much more than just war. It's also about like it's not just. It's, I sort of I wrote a review of it on Anti Gamers, and like I felt like it was you know something like Grave of the Fireflies is about death, and it's about how death and and all this hardship is very sad, and like really in this corner of the world is about life in wartime rather than just death in wartime, right?
4: And I think there's a place for both of them. I mean... Right. Yeah.
0: They, they serve different purposes in, like, the sort of narrative around World War Two. I
3: think it's actually
0: notable that, unlike a
3: lot of the authors who, who have done World War Two, kind of war is wrong stories. Kono Fumio did not live through World War Two. She was yeah. born well yeah. after it. And so she, the, this is stuff she gathers from talking to people who have lived through the war. And I think that's the fact. This is, why, this is why, like, Barefoot Ginn is the way he is, because the guy yeah. directly experienced an atomic bomb, and he's, and, you know, and you're like, Keiji uh, Nakazawa, and, like, it's about, like, the horror, and right? just, like, being, like, you yeah. know, when it comes down to it, like, like war is bad, bad, war causes pain, right? And then you get some other thing from Takahata, but because it is almost like a, not academic, but has a more of, like, a... But
1: she's a little more removed. Yeah, she's yeah. a little
3: more removed. You get a different
0: perspective. Well, and her, her stories, I think, is really interesting that in Town of Evening come too, she she seems to very deliberately choose to set all of her stories adjacent to the actual war in Hiroshima, right? Like, Count of Evening Calm happens in Hiroshima in 1955. It's like separated from the actual bomb and then like in this corner of the world takes place in Kure, which is like not actually in Hiroshima. So it's like by separating from the, the just the most horrific part of the war, she's able to tell stories that aren't just overwhelmed by the horror of the bomb, right? She can talk about like food rations. You can't tell a story about food rations when people's like when skin is melting off of people's bodies, right? It's just like, who cares about food rations at that point? It's just not even worth talking about. Yeah. So, anyway, that's Everybody very sad. So <laughs> all right, we now we need on. some,
1: like, good times and right. fun having. So I'll talk
0: about some Jam Project. I forgot to talk about Jam <laughs> Project. Go thing. do it.
1: You, all you should all talk about Jam
0: yeah, Project. Yeah, let's go. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you haven't talked for, like, we've been, like, blabbering. we
2: of talking about movies I didn't see.
1: That's right. So tell us about the things you did see.
2: I saw Jam Project. They sang Rescue Fire. Rescue that was really Fire!
1: Good. <laughs> you know
3: what I was thinking about? So basically, um, when they first showed up, right, until 2008, was it? Yeah. You know, I can't remember, what song was Super Robot,
2: Super Robot, Super...
3: Anyway, that song was yeah. new at the time, right? It yeah. Like pretty now it's like nine years later, and so now it's like, now it's like an old callback.
2: Yeah, so, the, so that, that any song, World Matsuri, uh, came to Otakon this year. And it, so there are two shows We went to the first show Which was Jam Project and TM Revolution Jam Project was great They did uh, the hero from um, One Punch One Man, Punch Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did a Super Robot Wars medley They did the theme for the newest Super Robot Wars I don't know the name of
4: that Super song. Robot Wars V
2: Yes is that the name of the song?
4: No, that's the name of the okay. game.
2: Um, I forget the name of the song.
4: Um, I'm playing that, so I was really happy to see that one,
2: hear they, that one. They played Garo, uh, Savior in the Dark. Um, I think they did the Cross of well. Yeah, they did Cross of I think that was the first song, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah so they open with that. Um, so they do like the medley, and the medley, like the, all the Super Robot Wars stuff, is kind of what they rap on most of the time. So they do this medley. After, so they did like the hero, and they're doing this medley, and it's like, oh, okay, so that must be them wrapping up. And then they start doing Rescue Fire as like the last song of the set, and it's like, what? Why? Are what they?
3: is Rescue Fire, what, Fire from again? Uh, it's
2: from a show called Rescue Fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> and well, so Rescue, so, uh, come on. So Rescue Fire is a. Um, it was Tonka No way. No. um Yeah, I think so. Oh,
1: a, you mean it's about like. Fire
2: engines? No, that's it's what it, it's it a, like. it's, a, it's basically a super sentai show, but they're firefighters. That's cool. It's not that great. <laughs> Thanks. Shut <bro>. up, Athens. <laughs> <system. laughs> no, what, you you <laughs> what you learn about Jam Project is they do a lot of
3: fantastic songs for so very mediocre anime. And like In <laughs>
2: Tokusatsu yeah. stuff. Like that's their like it's very clear like there's two categories of Jam Project. There's the stuff they do because it's their job, and there's the stuff they do because they just wanna do this stuff. Or it's the stuff they care about. Right. So it's like, yeah, that's, we're going to uh,
0: That's how Trigger works. And it's just uh, the first one are all bad. yeah, And the second one are all good. So they're all good, but there's,
2: with Jam Project, by songs like Rescue Fire. Rescue Fire is one of their best songs. It's a the song they perform all the time. But it's for this really mediocre show. So the show doesn't matter at all. It's just this song fucking owns. And they do it. Almost every show. At least I think they're doing every show in the U.S.
3: This is why, like One Punch Man is such a big deal, because it's a it's it's finally when the two f- forces line up yeah. when you have a good show <laughs> and a good jam project <laughs> opening and they enhance each other. Because I I, like, I wrote this article for uh, a site I write for Apartment 7, and it's it was my very first article right. I talked about how that song is a game changer because back when they came in 2008, right. They were not able to get that many people watching, right? Because a lot of people didn't realize what Jam Project is, and uh, and for those who don't know, I'll explain in a bit. But now, because One Punch Man is so popular, right? Everyone knows One Punch Man. Who was like a young, young youngish yeah. anime fan, right? And they love the theme song, right? They finally have a song that's accessible to, like, the typical American anime fan, which gets them a bigger audience. But I remember, right? I've been, have talked to people who are like, who are, you know, they're younger than us, but they're really big anime fans. I'm like, do you know my jam project? They're like, no, who are they? And it's like, you don't, you only think you don't know them. But they are essentially a Justice League of anime musicians mm-hmm. because you have the guy who does the Dragon Ball Z openings, you have the guy who does the One Piece op- the first One Piece opening. Yeah,
2: we are. It's done three One Piece
3: openings. It's going, yeah, then three One Piece
2: openings. We are, we go, yeah. and what's the third one called? We. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> we, be,
3: we be loyal scouts. Anyway. Um, so you have that, right? You have the singer, so you know, the like Galgar. Maybe you don't know him. Galgar, Galgar, but if you know Mecha, you know Galgar. Galgar. And uh, have, he did so, he's done Yu Gi Oh theme songs. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. And they have, they have all, uh, has also done Yu Gi Oh theme songs. And you have Masamu Kui, who has done music for, um, I think Slayers, as well as, most we'll famously, Utena, right? Mm-hmm. So as soon as people hear this, they go, Oh! It's a super group. Yeah. I didn't know that. Also,
2: Fire Bomber.
3: Yeah. And also, and also, and also, yeah, and also, like, um, Neki Basara, the voice of yeah. the main character. Of uh, Macross Seven, who has an incredible voice, like yeah, still has an incredible voice, like he is
2: legit, like an incredible singer yeah. and an incredible like rock singer. Yeah. And he's like, like anytime they have some, one of those ridiculous like shouting parts, it's always him because yeah. he can just own um, that shit like crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they do their whole set. They end with Rescue Fire, and then they go away. And the thing with Jam Project, the thing you have to know about Jam Project is they always perform Skill. Yeah. And Skill is like their most famous Super Robot Wars song. So they go away without performing skill. Um, and then Team Revolution comes out, uh, who did Heart of Sword from Roni Kenshin, mm. uh, three Gundam Seed songs, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. he did,
3: he did uh, Invoke, um, um, Ignition, and then Meteor.
2: And, and Zips. Zips, was it? Yeah, okay. Zips. So that's four. right? Okay. Zips is definitely... He performed Zips. Okay, okay, okay yeah. Uh, and Ignition and, and Invoke. Um and heart of sword, heart of sword was how he wrapped his set. Yeah,
3: he typically wraps up with heart of sword, from what I which know, friggin' rules. He also oh, this one really good moment, right? You can tell because you know the average age of an old content. You can really tell, right? He starts giving a speech, and so uh, he goes, he goes, you know, I think I like I think I find many things important, like love and heart and. And then you start hearing the Soul Eater opening, creeping up. And you hear the crowd just sh- explode. They know exactly what's coming. He, 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 you know, he doesn't have to say the word soul, but he, he, as soon as he leaves a blank, and everyone just fills in the blank of what that word is supposed to be, then they make the next logical leap. What has he worked on? It has the word soul in it. Soul Eater! <laughs> and you, yeah. you, you hear the crowd erupt. It's really, it's really cool. Oh,
4: I didn't notice you mentioned he has perfected the um, over-the-head oh, yeah. point. Oh, basically, right?
3: Throughout, throughout the thing, right? Because like, he, he is... In his, he is a middle-aged man, right? Uh, and you he's in mid forties. Yeah, mid forties, right? And you could tell. You could tell he wears a lot of makeup to makeup for the fact that he's age, but his body is the body of like a twenty-five-year-old, right? Oh, well, he's like he, he's uh Dio. Yeah, he's yeah, he's actually <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's super he's super fit, right? And so that the thing. Like he was he's slowly taking off his clothes, and so the girls are like <laughs> the girls are freaking out. And but he
2: also does this thing, right? There's like a we'll, girl right in front of us because. Yeah, because he's slowly taking off his clothes, and ev- so he takes... Please his- tell me more about how like, slowly taking off his clothes. So he's wearing, like, this rhinestone outfit. It's nuts. <laughs> and he takes off the jacket, and he's just wearing this, like, leather vest thing. And eventually he takes that off, and this girl right behind us is just screeching, <laughs> screaming,
1: <laughs>
3: losing her mind and the thing, right, like What he does, right, is he actually will, like, point to the audience in general direction like this, right? Like... I'm like, I'm pointing, yeah, you right? can't see it in the audio. He just points vaguely in the direction, right? And each girl thinks that he's pointing at her. <laughs>
1: it's like the Mona
3: Lisa. It's
0: perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And it
1: was like... <gasps> oh. and I just want to mention that Patson and, and Carl had VIP tickets, so they were in the third row. <laughs> yeah. just, for, just just for They knew like, that he
0: was pointing at them. Right, yeah. I
1: mean... Yeah.
3: Oh, I will <laughs> say, though, that at one point during the Jam Project concert, uh, they're talking about how... Um, like they were the first. The first American concert was in Otakon 2008, which was the first time I saw them. See? And and I was wearing the shirt from that time, like the yellow, like the yellow uh, no border shirt. And endo endo definitely pointed to me, right? <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, I'm so- he
1: was pointing
4: at
3: everyone, but you're right, Carl. He was pointing yeah. at you. Yeah. It was definitely you. <laughs> also, I was gonna So I, Yeah,
2: sorry. No no, go and finish your thought.
3: <laughs> I just want to say one more thing I would go mention cause I, cause I think it's very clear cool. we like Jam Project, but the Tim Revolution in the Tim is super cool. But the thing I'm really impressed by Jam Project is each of their singers has such a distinct voice that mm-hmm. you, you don't get the sense like, you're like, oh who's who? And you like you hear mm-hmm. one of them and you're just like, Oh, okay, that's definitely Such and such. Yeah.
2: Um, So we wrapped up, so the concert wrapped up with the encore, which was all of Jam Project and Team Revolution doing skill together. Yeah, that's awesome. Which was, you know, like seven, eight minutes long, right? Mm -hmm. Because they always do like the crazy long version of it where they make you jump and shout moto-moto for four minutes
4: (laughs) or whatever. (laughs)
2: Uh, so that you was you can great. fly, I can fly, mm-hmm. we can oh, fly, Moko, oh, Moko.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. So that 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 was a really really great. Concept.
4: My only criticism, and it's very minor, is they usually do a roundtable section where like each of the members of Jam Project sings like one like like a solo song, s- solo song that's usually a signature song, and when the last time they did the summer event. For Otakon, um, who's the guy who does Bastard's voice? Uh, Fukuyama. Fukuyama wasn't there and he like had a, he, uh, had, he got gotten very sick and, uh, he had to like Skype in and he just did like a little quick song for everybody, which is super nice. But I'm like, all right, Fukuyama's here. We're going to get a real Macro 7 song and Kate isn't with us. So we're not going to get planet dance. <laughs>
1: My superpower is to make Planet dance appear anytime I'm across heaven because I fucking hate that song. God damn it!
4: So like, Kate isn't here. We're probably gonna get like either try again or dynamite explosion or what's the new one from the new um the the fire again. I know the album.
2: I don't know the name of the song.
4: That like the new really awesome one from the new album. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm waiting for it. And, like, they don't do the rounds. All right. They got to do skill. So they're going to come back for an encore, and they're never going to do it. And we're going to get a five bomb song. It isn't going to be Planet Dance. <laughs> and then they didn't do it. I was like, no. Yeah. But
2: that's, like, a result of the fact that there was also a TM Revolution concert yeah. happening.
4: Yeah, yeah, know. Like, so no. they
2: split
0: it up. So I was just like. So, so you need to not have TM Revolution. And not have Kate. And if you get both of those together,
2: it's oh, no. gonna work. Well honestly, no. what we just need is a solo Fukuyama concert.
1: Oh man. So he
2: also did like famously uh, the Overman King Gainer theme oh, yeah, song. Yeah. Um, oh. the Buso Renkin theme song, which is the only good part of Buso Renkin.
0: Oh, that show that everyone
2: remembers. Yeah. yeah. The song is good <laughs> as hell. So he performed that one live at uh, anime Boston.
3: Oh, so uh, yeah. So two things, right? Is that we could, then we could bring in the the voice of Milena, like to do the perfect firebomber yes. combination. But also, oh yeah, it also t- like um, oh yeah. One of the things thing of Team Revolution, he did a, he, he did a medley of classic songs of like that are really popular that he's really well known for in Japan. I didn't know know two of them, but he did do the Hot Limit, which is like maybe his most famous song. Like I think it's his first big hit. In Japan?
1: It was the big... Yeah, it yeah. was his first, like, massive yeah. song.
3: Um, you, p- people might know it better, because it used to be... An English version of it used to be in one of the old DDR games mm. as well. It was called Hot Limit, right? And then... And this is this will date me in a lot, but there was a time when kind of taking Japanese songs and making Flash videos out of them and kind of interpreting the lyrics was a really big deal. They called them Animutations. And his famously was... Someone took Hot Limit and called it We Drink Ritalin because they it was, a, it was like a purposeful mishearing of the lyrics, mm-hmm. and that was like a big hit on the internet for like a very brief period. And once singing along to the song, I can only remember those lyrics. <laughs> 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 oh, you chase so low.
2: For what, for what it's worth, you're not the only person that said that to me. Like, <laughs> that, that remembered that because
1: we're of a certain age. Yeah.
2: Um, the only. My only complaint about the concert is Jam Project went on first. Or I was too tired by the time Team Revolution oh, yeah. came out. It was mostly like, ah, yeah. uh yeah. I, I just
3: thought there was a job. Oh,
2: skill time. Oh.
3: I just thought there was a The guy's like, yeah, Jam Project. And the girl's
2: like, oh, Team Revolution. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot of that. Great show. And then because we were VIPs, we got to, they had a special VIP. It was advertised as a high five. With everyone. But, but, it, to but it turns into handshakes. But it
1: turns into handshakes. I think high fives would have been cooler.
2: We got high fives later. Were you there for that? I don't think so. No, um,
0: why not, right? They yeah, we
2: those. got. So um, basically, what they did is they had everyone in the VRB section stand up a row at a time, and you basically walk down a row, shook each of their hands, and then it's like, all right, Good shake the hands, team. turn right, turn right, and go out. Like, it's literally <laughs> like, shake their hand, get the hell out, yes, was the way that course. session worked. But it was still a lot of fun. Anyway, we—I was with some other people at their Q and A session the next day, and after the Q and A section, we're walking down the hallway, and they all come at us. So we then we get our high fives with them. So you got high fives and handshakes
1: and autograph and I'm autograph. Unfortunately,
3: it was at the same time as the showing in this Corner of the world, so it was kind of like a this mm. between Jam Project, or in
2: this Corner of the world. Well, so the highlight of the Jam Project Q&A was someone asked them all to do the niko Nico ni I heard about that, yeah. Did they do it? Uh, most of them did it. Interesting. Um, like <laughs> Endo didn't do it. But but Endo's too cool for that. Okay. Is
1: he the supermanly one? Yeah.
3: yeah okay, he, yeah, oh, he, oh, yeah. He's the gau ga Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, At the end of the concert, right, basically, and the final thing, the, the final note of the skill, yes. basically, it became, what we, we learned is when two alpha Manly singers appear in the wild, they must challenge each other, right? <laughs> and so it was, it was, so it was Team Revo- it was Super muscly Team Revolution versus Super Muscley Galgar Singers Mas- Endo. and they're just holding the note and, as everyone else fades away, and they're just holding it, holding it, and going, you tell that they were basically locked in song combat. And then, <laughs> until like finally, at the very last moment, um, TM Revolution has to like, give, give, has to like give in
0: and Endo asserts his dominance over the pack. <laughs> so, so they were shirtless, and the songs send the like. TM
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: yeah. was probably shirtless by then. <laughs> no,
0: like, like, you know, he, he presses you know, his finger he,
3: entirely into his chest. He, 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 had, he had put. Uh, they had all put the Anna song shirts on.
1: Okay.
4: Right
0: then they burst them off. Didn't <laughs>
4: <laughs> which one of them is, uh, is using the Fist of the North Star and which one is using like um... <laughs> the, 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 it's Rao versus Sure, right, uh, right. so they're both using the Fist right. of the North Star determining they, who will be the one true successor they are
3: actually pretty similar people I was about to say that uh, that what's his face that uh, Team Revolution is Shin but the, the actual voice of Shin was at the con which is the voice of Piccolo oh, oh, okay, okay. Right. in fact who, who showed someone showed, showed me their Fist of North Star box who was it Basically, like, I can't remember. Someone, I was talking to someone about this, right? And the the English voice actor, I think maybe Richard Epcar, had signed it like Richard Epcar, Shin, right? So Toshio Furukawa signed it Toshio Furukawa, Shin. (laughs) Just to to, to match the the, (laughs) autograph. Who told me
0: that story? I can't remember. That's awesome. That
1: sounds like a Dave. But,
0: (laughs) all right, we've been talking for too long. Mm -hmm. So, any general thoughts on Amotokan? We've got to wrap up here. Okay, I, I, I
1: feel like I said this on Twitter, and so I, I feel like this is how I, I want to end it, is that I think a lot of people were using this year as a wait and see, a lot of mm. people were like, oh, they're moving, the first years of cons when they move are like a big mess, I don't want to deal with it, if it's great, people will tell me, and I, I'm telling you, it was great, it was a great, if you missed out on this year, too bad for you, because it was a great year. Yeah. But yeah, it was
2: jam project.
1: But definitely, you, this should this year should give you confidence that Otakon in DC is awesome, and yeah. you should be coming back to the con if you kind of were sitting out waiting for this move to happen.
2: Uh, so I was standing on a corner, uh, coming back from lunch uh, yesterday, and next to us was a was a woman dressed as a uh, Wonder Woman, and another woman dressed as the Joker. And these women in a car drive by and are just screaming and hollering. Ah, it's Wonder Woman! It's Wonder Woman! Ah, it's Joker! Losing their mind. And that was like, oh no, this place is going to be amazing in a year. They're ready. As yeah, the, as it starts to spread out and get bigger, and like people are aware of what this is, I think it's going to be really fun in this city. Yeah.
3: Um, I think it. The, it was a really great time. Maybe one of the. Aside from, I had some. Like uh, problems that happened along the way, but the con itself was fantastic. Like it, there, there, there was that water main break. I guess we should talk about that a bit more. But oh yeah, um, I, don't, I it, didn't see anything about the water main. Yeah, break. basically there were some issues, but otherwise, like like everything that happened that was in their power to control happened really like went almost without a hitch. And it's a great city to have the con in. Um, it's a great hotel, a great convention center. Uh, as always, good guests, great panels. Otakon is still my favorite. Con.
1: Autocon's oh, the best. Yes, it's the, it's best the best con.
3: con. Um, and like... uh, And, and that check there is con- has yet to clear. There is, uh, <laughs> but, uh, they they, they <laughs> said, they said at, the, at, the, at the Con Feedback, there's literally space for twice as many people or more to come to this con, so cool. don't hesitate.
4: Um, Just before we wrap up, I'm not going to go into a bunch about them, but I, I mean I wanted to give out some... As a big fan of Fan Pals, I wanted to give out oh, yeah. a shout out to some really good ones that i went to there was one on japanese heraldry and like oh, you know yeah,
0: it seemed interesting
4: uh it was really interesting the guy kept it like uh nice pace um if you were ever interested in clan seals and man do people in that time period change their name like every other friggin' week and they also changed yeah, their... it's like on
0: twitter everyone
4: changes their display name all the time so yeah and then Same they also thing. change Um, Like Twitter, they would change their (laughs) their avatar. Yeah, they're basically (laughs) their clan serials. Their avatar, so it's all the uh, it's all the confusion of Twitter, but with less ability to track it with modern uh, ability. Uh, And there was an amazing alchemy and Full Metal Alchemist panel that looked at the alchemy behind Full Metal Alchemist and how the alchemy informed the story, and just some amazing insights. That you wouldn't necessarily pick up on unless you were, uh, like well versed in Western alchemy. Really brilliant panel. But I feel like, I mean, everybody, what everybody said is correct that Otakon is really great. And I think this has the, this venue is a place where Otakon can just grow. And show even more potential.
1: This is the venue where Otakon can be the best Otakon it can be.
4: We're like patting Otakon on the back. Like, you can do it. You
1: can be your best version of yourself, Otakon, here.
4: So, yeah. if it's given the the Pokemon known as Otakon the evolution stone to get to the next level. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah uh, so I love the location. I, I just really like the sort of how centrally located it is in DC and everything. And the convention center, uh, as you, as typical for the past like couple years, I'd say I'm a little disappointed at like the guests, the Japanese uh, for, like production guests. I think I had really good musical guests, but I'm, I don't t- typically go to like a lot of the concerts. Um, like, I was really disappointed Tsunakadabuchi wasn't actually here. Oh, yeah. it's just, like, I, I was actually, yeah. and he was, was, was he at Anime Expo,
3: though, right? Yeah. 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 I was, I was like, surprised. he's the
0: director of In This Corner of the World, yeah. and I expected him to be here for the premiere, because he made a big deal, like, a couple years ago at Otakon about it. Um, so, he was basically here hyping the movie up before right. it was, like, in major production at that point. Yeah, and this was kind of the, you know, coinciding with the premiere of it in the U.S. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, things like that are a little disappointing. I'd like to see them get some more bigger uh guests uh but and also like some newer ones because most of the ones they brought back they brought this year were ones they had brought before right a aoki is a a previous otakon guest so is Masamariama and nori matsubara um but yeah i do think it just has a lot of room to grow and i think this is a really good foundation for the next couple years uh and then on a totally different note I want to say my uh, the, one of my highlights of the convention was uh, watching Abunai Sisters in uh, Patsy's room yes. and then discovering when we hit the end credits that uh, Tetsuya Kinoshita, the production IG producer who's at this con as a guest, worked on Abunai Sisters.
3: <laughs> Abunai Sisters!
0: But we didn't get a chance to ask him questions about the phenomenal cartoon that is Abunai Sisters, unfortunately. Um, so that's it, I think, for the podcast. Uh,
2: in conclusion, Jam Project should come every year.
0: Okay, they should be the conchairs. Yeah, they should. They should be conchairs. They should be uh, honorary staff. Honorary though, staff Mo- like my yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree entirely. And they should come every
2: year mm-hmm. and perform skill and rescue fire, okay. Okay, and cool. uh, maybe some fire bomber.
4: Yeah, I'll be happy. Yeah.
0: All right. So uh, just to wrap up. You can find more about the Annie Gamers podcast on podcast.antigamers.com. You can email us at podcast at antigamers.com. Follow us on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher. Leave us reviews on all those places. Uh, I'm writing articles for Annie Gamers and Otaku USA magazine. And my Twitter is at sign vampvo, v a n p t v o. And let's go around the circle. Where can people find all of you guys?
1: Again, I'm Kate. From reverse thieves.com, blog and podcast, and you can find me on Twitter as Narutaki RT. I
4: am Alan as Hisui RT on Twitter, and you can email us at reverse thieves at gmail.com.
3: Uh, I'm Carl, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at SDSHAMSHEL, or, or at OGUEMANIAX.com, my blog, OGIUEMANIAX.com, and I'd like to say be excellent to each other.
2: And I'm Patrick. You can follow me on Twitter at patsprime, P-A-T-Z-P-R-I-M-E and at the Cockpit, my uh, mecha podcast, thecockpit.net.
0: Alright, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye! Bye. There was the time that somebody recorded the entire Crunchyroll industry panel and I was on the panel when it was happening for Reddit and of course they were like, they got took the questions, and they were like, Hi, I'm recording this entire panel for Reddit. I'd like to ask, why shouldn't we just watch fan subs? <laughs> <laughs> me and Kate went to a panel. Give me three reasons not to watch fan subs. Me and Kate went to a panel for Sailor
1: Moon, and this guy's like, Hi, I'm known on Reddit. And we're
0: like, I'm known on Reddit? <laughs> yeah.
1: True anime Reddit. Have you ever heard of it?
0: What the fuck is
1: true I don't know, way? but then okay. we have to look
0: it up. So it's apparent. a subreddit.
2: It's a yeah. like true like,
1: anime. use
0: the Socratic method to find out why you like a show or something like that. Oh, I love people like that. But it was like, <laughs> those are
4: my favorite. I, I, I was like, oh
1: my god, there's this whole community of snobby anime fans that Anna Twitter doesn't know about. Yeah, they're they <laughs> us. <Yeah>, us. <laughs> right. like,
4: like, wait, you- did <laughs> they
1: just steal our thing? We were like,
0: so like, flabbergasted. Like, this is on
2: Reddit. And like, He's
1: really good.